Dear brothers and sisters, our beautiful church looks a little different this evening because beginning tonight, we enter to that period of Lent called Passion Tide. Passion Tide. And so these wonderful statues and this tremendous cross, this tremendous crucifix is covered. Why? So that we focus more intensely in these next two weeks on the passion, the suffering, and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That our attention is not distracted from anything else but focusing on this solemn time in the church year leading up to Good Friday. Leading up to Good Friday. And this was the most glorious moment in Christ's life. And this comes out so very clearly in St. John's Gospel more than any other. For St. John, for St. John, the Lord is a king, and that theme of kingship stands out in his gospel, and his throne, his throne is the cross, is the cross. So we're in this period of Passion Tide, and today's reading actually focuses on Christ's passion in a very striking, very striking way. Here, and it seems rather strange, it's almost like a puzzler. We could put this down as an event that at first glance puzzles us. Here are these two Greek, Greek-speaking people, and they come to Philip and Andrew because they're from Galilee, a very cosmopolitan area in the Holy Land, up north where many cultures intersected because of the trade routes. The north was always much more prosperous than the south. It actually got more rainfall than the south. So in the world in which Christ is living, there's a lot of Greek-speaking people up there, and Andrew and Philip speak Greek. And so these Greeks come to them and say, we want to see Jesus. And so they eventually get to Jesus and say, there's two Greek-speaking, they're probably Greek-speaking Jews who have lived in the diaspora, okay, in the exile, in the, in the, not in the exile, but in the distribution of, of the Jews in the Mediterranean world. And so they just come to Jesus and says, these two Greek people, these Greek-speaking people want to come and see you. And Jesus gives this incredible response. He comes with this incredible response. He simply says, uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. What is Jesus talking about? Well, now that these Greek-speaking Jews have come to him, now that he is going to connect with them, he's saying, in a very indirect way, which is very common of the Middle Eastern culture, very indirect way is, my job is over. My work is finished. My ministry, my evangelization, my proclaiming the gospel to the house of Israel is done. Is done. And now I'm going to enter into my hour where, like a grain of wheat that must bear fruit, as it dies, I will die. I will die. Jesus will fulfill his death and resurrection. He will fulfill his mission as the Messiah. And then, having announced that, he asked the Father to be glorified. Father, glorify your name. And the Father's voice says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. How will he do that? Through his Son. Jesus fulfills the new covenant 
that was in that wonderful oracle in the first reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Why did we need a new covenant? God even announces the reason why in that, in that passage. We need a new covenant because the old one, they broke. The house of Israel broke my covenant, God says. And I had to show myself their master. I had to punish them. I had to send them into exile. I had to leave the temple. And they are, are banished from their heritage, their land. But then, all that being true, God says that I, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, those days of exile, says the Lord. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God announces a brand new covenant. The faithless people had broken the old covenant. And now God is looking for those of his new covenant, a faithful people. That's what God's always has wanted from the beginning, my friends. A covenant of love with his creatures whom he made solely because he loved them and invites them to love him back. And this covenant, this new covenant, is new. It's three, three beautiful things about the covenant. It's new in that it's definitive. There's no, never going to be another covenant after this one that we're living in, the one that God has made with his people in Christ. It will not be superseded. Even Jesus at the Last Supper, while blessing the cup, says... This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant. And secondly, unlike the old covenant, which was on tablets of stone, this new covenant is interior. Interior to God's people. It's etched in the heart of each individual. It hasn't changed, but people will know it in a different way. As I say, not on stone but written in the heart and soul of each person. It'll be part of each one's being. And conscience, that interior voice of judgment that's in each one of us, will tell each person what he or she should do, ought to do because of this covenant. And failing in this covenant, then, is rather serious, very serious. Why? Because to fail in the covenant is to lose one's identity. Lose one's identity until, with the help of God's grace, one converts and returns. And returns. So it is known in a different way. It's interior. The third quality about it is heartfelt. It's heartfelt. It's based on a loving relationship between God and his people. A living union with God that is not external but internal. And St. Paul writes about this so beautifully in the New Testament when he preaches the gospel in the Mediterranean world. You know, he talks about us putting on Jesus Christ in baptism, that we've been clothed in Christ, that we've been made entirely new. The old has passed away and there's entirely something new, a new being, a new reality in our lives because of the grace of God that comes to us through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And this is the covenant that is fulfilled in Christ and which was proclaimed by Jeremiah. And this is what Jesus is saying he's going to do in the gospel passage today. 
I'm going to enter into my hour. I'm going to give my Father glory. And the Father returns that glory in the resurrection. When Christ's humanity is truly exalted, is truly exalted, becomes supernaturalized in a most amazing way. The passage we have from St. Paul's letter to the Romans is also another puzzler. Two puzzlers in one mass. It talks about Christ learning obedience from what he suffered. And we might think that's quite strange because if Jesus is the Son of God, he knows everything. Yes, he does. So what do you mean he had to learn obedience through what he suffered? He had to make that obedience, that suffering his own in his humanity. In his humanity. He's truly God. He's truly man in every way. So St. Paul tells us he learned obedience from what he suffered. In other words, he made it his own by his experience. Uh, Earlier it says Jesus was heard because of his reverence. Of his reverence. Actually, the Greek that underlies that English word is godly fear, but in a very specific way. The literal meaning of what's there in the Greek says Jesus was heard because of his taking hold. It's the taking of hold of what God calls good. A taking hold of what God calls good. That's really what being reverent, being devoted, being faithful in this new covenant is all about. Of taking hold of what God calls good and not letting go. Not letting go. That, my friends, is the measure of our fidelity. Of our fidelity. Christ's experience of suffering was connected with his generosity by his obedience. You know, elsewhere in the gospel, I mentioned this before, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He says, he says I mu- the world must know that I love the Father and I do what the Father tells me to do. Isn't that beautiful? Very powerful. The world must know that I love the Father and I do what the Father tells me to do. And that should be the case for each one of us. The world must know that I love the Father. And I do what the Father tells me to do in Christ. In and through Jesus Christ. So Christ's example of obedience, my friends, is something we should copy, what we should imitate. His perfect obedience atoned for man's disobedience, for man's sin. And this is what we're called to contemplate as we go into Passion Tide. How grateful we should be for God's fidelity. How grateful we should be for God's fidelity. And we should imitate, we should bring that fidelity into this covenantal relationship. This is really what it's all about. This is what we're going to be celebrating more intensely these next two weeks leading up to um, Good Friday. Leading up to Good Friday. So all this that's put before us, we need to ask ourselves tonight... Where am I in my fidelity to God? How am I living faithfulness to God the Father in His Son, Jesus Christ? Am I fulfilling? I mentioned St. Paul talking about baptism and clothing ourselves with Christ. How am I living? Am I faithful 
to the commitments I made at baptism or were made for me in which I renew each year on Easter Sunday. Those baptismal promises. Something very important for us to think about because love and sacrifice always go together. Always. Love and sacrifice. To love means to go out of oneself, to forget oneself for the good of the other person. How often do I go out of myself because of my love for God. You know, that, that phrase we hear from time to time, we probably should hear it every day, to die to self. Jesus died to himself so that all of us could have the promise of eternal life in heaven, eternity, unending happiness in heaven. And he did it because of his fidelity. And he expects the same faithfulness from you and from me.